Ready? No, let's do it anyways. <laughs> Go team. Calling all hunters. Welcome to Supernatural Books, the Winchesters in prose. I'm Lane. I'm Diane. And today we're discussing chapters five and six of Supernatural Nevermore by Keith R.A. DeCandido. So a little summary of what happened last time. Basically, they just went, first they were stuck in traffic, and then they went to the zoo to talk to the zookeeper who was... Dean struck out. Dean struck out, and the zookeeper was all over Sam. Which, I mean, yeah. (laughs) And the orangutan's name was... Also Dean. Dean. Named after Hank and Dean from the Venture Brothers. So yeah, not a whole lot happened in the last two chapters, and guess what? Not a whole lot happens in these two chapters either. It's dry as a bone, but we'll try and make it interesting. <laughs> Alright, so chapter 5 starts on page 51, and as I usually do, I read a little bit to kind of get us in there, and then we'll talk about the rest of the chapter. So chapter 5. On the road, the Bronx, New York. Thursday, 16 November, 2006. Nice work, giving her your phone number. Sitting in the passenger seat, Dean had been hoping to get more than a sigh from his brother. But then Sam was driving, since Dean had decided that he didn't want to get behind the wheel again until they were somewhere sane. Sam was rationalizing like crazy. I just wanted her to be able to get in touch with us, in case... In case she wanted to stare at you some more. Come on, dude, she was totally into you. I mean, I even brought her a napkin when she got all misty-eyed and she barely noticed. He leaned back, clasping his hands behind his head. She was tuned into Sam TV. Well, Sam said, maybe she appreciated somebody not trying so hard. That was not trying hard. That was trying normal. (sighs) I have that highlighted because it stuck out to me. Sam TV? (sighs) So basically, they just keep talking for a while about whether or not she was into Sam TV, and they decide to go back to... Ash's friend. Thank you. Ash's friend's Afiri. Afiri's house in the Bronx. I'll say Afiri, just because... Afiri! Just because it's New York, so it's most likely an Italian name. Yeah. And they talk about having just been to the zoo, and they didn't really learn anything new I mean, I guess they learned that the monkey had been... Or the ape. Orangutan is an ape, not a monkey, I believe. I think monkeys have tails. Apes don't. Primate. 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 <laughs> no, primate. God damn it. So, yeah. You just said Pokemon. <laughs> and, uh... So, yeah, they figured out that it had been drugged. And the poor little thing is... Traumatized, traumatized. for life. Yeah. yeah. So, what... They go to Afiri's house... And he's there, and he's basically Dean's long-lost soulmate. Mm. And he's got all kinds of vinyl, and Dean is just... He's tuned into a Fieri TV, if we're going to use that. Uh, guy's got Grateful Dead t-shirt. Vinyl, which I didn't know Dean was into, but I guess that makes sense. Yeah. But it's funny how the chapter's talking about the death of vinyl, but it it's got it still has some uh, cult To me, following. this is more like the author's viewpoint, but this is also written at the quote-unquote death of vinyl, because vinyl had, like, a resurgence with the hipster stuff. Mm -hmm. This is, like, a little before hipsters. And there is something wonderful about hearing the needle on vinyl. Mm -hmm. It's just nice. I I need to get a turntable. So, basically, Afiri's telling them that whenever he goes out and plays gigs with his band, and what was the name of their band? The Scott... I lost it. Anyway, they play gigs on the weekends... Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, 
And on those days when he comes back, he hears some kind of woman's voice screaming. Also, besides it being like a really nice rich people house and having all the vinyl and stuff, this place is trashed. Yeah. In the in the chapter, the place is like two seconds from like being on the episode of Hoarders. And it just seems that we should probably mention that since that's 90% of the chapter. Yeah. Yeah, so they're getting along. Are they Dan and... Dan. Dean and Afiris are... They're getting along splendidly. Though the, this guy, I mean, he's obviously older than they are because he's using... Despite being retro, uh, he's also using words like groovy and... Uh, this is, Stuff like this drove me nuts. Okay, quote... That's a nice set of wheels you got there, fellas. Manfred grinned again. Sorry, what is it? Ride now? <sighs> wheels, ride, either one. Just stop trying to play with... Uh. <sighs> yeah, so that was a little bit groovy. Or maybe cool. Sweet? Dean says, sweet works, yeah. So, I kind of wanted to pull out my left molar. There, he's trying to paint... This guy as kind of like a burnt out hippie. But he's kind of using a roller when he should be using a very fine point brush. Yeah. Or he's like taking that brush and like doing like full hardcore pointillism. Just like, I'm going to make sure everybody knows. Mm -hmm. Exclamation points. (laughs) Yeah. Subtlety is not the name of the game in this so far. I'd like to, giving him the benefit of the doubt, because I'm trying to be, I'm trying to be nicer. Because I... So easily could just rip this whole thing to shreds. Mm-hmm. But I'm trying to be nicer. It's, uh, I'd like to think he's a newer author when he wrote this. Possibly. I mean, he's obviously a successful writer. He's got lots of credits to his name. He's also the first to write these licensed characters. So he's kind well, of officially. digging. Officially, yes. <laughs> so he he's kind of paving the way a little bit, but... It could also be because they are licensed characters that maybe his free form stuff is a lot better. His his original characters. Yeah, because didn't he write that one about the dragon precinct? Which yeah. we said we had to. I'm hoping it's better. Yeah. The pre the premise is good. Mm-hmm. I mean, this isn't awful. It's just right now there's not a lot happening. It's really hard to have a take on licensed characters and get it to fit the cadence of a show. Yeah. Because true fans who've been watching it are seeped into it. It's like, that's not... Like, him saying that Dean, especially early Dean, in any way, shape, or form would let anyone drive baby, even Sam, while he is still functional as a human being, is a mortal sin. Yeah. I mean, he has let Sam drive before, but it's either when Sam is about to die and they know it, or Dean is has been driving for forty three hours straight and is literally yeah, passing like out of the wheel. Someone is either mortally wounded, normally Dean, or like you know Dean's got some kind of weird trick up his sleeve, or you know he's asleep. Yeah, something. Yeah. It's not a normal thing. It's not just because he's aggravated with traffic. I don't think that'd be enough to get him to give up the reins of baby. Well, also on top of that, like he literally just rebuilt his car mm-hmm. from scratch. Yeah. There's no way, after putting all that time and effort, he would let Sam drive it. He'd be even more possessive mm-hmm. than he was probably in season one until, like, he eased up a little bit. Yeah. I'm curious how far um, Manfred's house is from the Poe Cottage, because from uh, the people I know who live in New York, 
it's just so much easier to take mass transit or to walk than to try to drive somewhere. Yeah. But uh, Manfred did offer them rooms for the night, which was very cool. And uh, Sam at first was going to decline, but Dean's like, you know, fuck no, that's free room and board. We're going to take you up on that. So I'm definitely with Dean on that one. Not like they're using their own money to pay for hotels and stuff anyway, but they're already there. There's a parking spot. It's one of their clients for this trip. They're trying... It it almost feels like they're trying to endear us to Manfred. Like, you know, Ash became a very big fan favorite, even though he wasn't on the show for very long. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't know if maybe that's kind of his goal because he's a friend of Ash's, but uh, we get a lot of information on Manfred. They are giving us a ton of backstory on the house and the and Manfred and setting a scene, but it's like, that's great. But even the next chapter, he's not mentioned at all. Mm-hmm. And I get they're going to be switching back and forth, but I just have a feeling he's not going to be that important to the story. Yeah. Now, don't get me wrong. I love detail of characters, even minor characters. But I don't think it was done as efficiently as it could have been. Whereas it could have been sprinkled a little bit throughout the, like, several chapters. Like, we learn a little bit more about this character if he shows up. Because if he is in the book, then he would have time to kind of sprinkle this around. But if he's not going to be in the book more, I think this, like you said, it's a little bit too much to have a chapter on this type of stuff when we could have had a couple paragraphs. And we that would have been enough to give us an idea of what Manfred is like while then moving the plot forward with some sort of action. Yeah. Because it is a lot of like sitting and standing and talking. Yeah. And especially after we just had a chapter of them sitting in rush hour traffic. Talking. Yeah. Because that one I was, I was like, okay, we don't get to see this a lot. Dean's freaking out. Okay, fine. But what th- we had also just had the introduction of those two boys getting killed by the orangutan. So we had a lot of action. I'm like, okay, now we're stuck in traffic. But what I find indist- interesting is like this chapter, it feels like there's too much detail about the scene. The next chapter feels like there's not enough. Like I actually got a little confused about where they were at. And it just didn't feel like there was a whole lot of information that may or may not have, it should have been kind of relevant to the story. Like, the whole sixth chapter, I'm like, yeah, you could have taken that whole thing out. Mm-hmm. Nothing would have happened. It'd be fine. Yeah. I do have an issue with, okay, so, like, at the end of chapter five, the whole chapter, and I know a lot of people, especially, like, early time Sam, they, they try to paint him, like, this naive, innocent... Stick in the mud. Stick in the mud. Like, look, he's a stickler, and yeah, he is totally gonna be, like, kind of a wet blanket on Dean's parade. He's the voice of reason. Mm Mm-hmm. But he was raised the same way. He... They literally just said earlier in the thing that he's a better liar than Dean. And anyone who's watched the show, like, he knows how to get out of shit. He is not faced by the cops at all. They were arrested. We've seen them be arrested. And he thought it was funny. You know, he had the exact same, like, they are they are drilled into each other how to handle these situations. So when Manfred was talking, he talks a little bit about how, like, weed and rock and roll kind of go together, you know? Because he was saying that he had to practice somewhere else because, you know, it's just like boring small talk. I have to pr- practice this place because my neighbors were complaining because I had a rock band in the attic and we were smoking weed. Or he's, as he says, reefer because... He's from the 60s. (laughs) Um, And he didn't want the cops caught on him because of the weed. Right. And so at the very end of chapter five, Sam is giving Dean quote unquote crap 
about not staying focused, about why the reason why he wants to stay at Manfred's place is because basically it's Dean's what dream, which I think Dean's place would be cleaner. But Sam says, hope so, because we got a spirit. We know it's going to show up Friday night and a murder that we know is going to happen Monday night. And we're staying with a guy whose house is full of illegal narcotics when we were both wanted by the feds. It's weed, dude. First of all, Sam went to college. And if you're going to tell me that just because it's an Ivy League school that there weren't kids like smoking weed then you were not hanging out or doing anything in college. Because, like, there is always at least one dorm room that reeks of the shit. No one's going to freak out over it, especially Sam, who has seen way worse and is actually... Is this around the same time that he is doing the... No, this is right before that. But, like, later on, he's going to be doing some worse shit, so... Yeah. So, if he's that uppity about weed... I mean, yeah, if they had a, a meth lab there, then, yeah. yeah, you might not want to stay there because you also don't want to get blown up. The smell is awful. If there, There is a line to cross, but weed is not that. And I, I think Sam is getting a little too, for some of the shit that they do, credit card scamming for yeah. one thing. He seems overly uppity. Yeah. I mean, that that's kind of like him worrying about them going five miles over the speed limit with all this other stuff that they do. I just, it's... Yeah. It's very much, oh, look at this straight-laced Stanford kid being thrown in back into this world of, like, craziness. And it's like, no, he was racing this. Yeah. He is straight-laced, on some, but only to a degree. And, uh, and there's a dark streak in Sam. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and I love that that comes out. I can't wait till we get to books that have, like, some of the, the darker elements and mm-hmm. cast. Oh, my God. Alright, so let's move on to chapter 6, because... I'm trying to think if there's anything else I wanted to... There's absolutely nothing going on in that chapter. Yeah, pretty much. There's... It's literally, like, Dean rolling his eyes at Sam being a stickler, and them talking about a dirty-ass house for a while, and the dirty-ass hippie who lives in it. (laughs) And they get to stay in the rooms, and Dean is in his happy place, because I wouldn't blame him. He's with this uh, burnout hippie who's going to be more easygoing than the... Sam that is painted in this book, at least in that chapter. But because we know Sam's not that bad. With chapter six, at least, I will say it starts interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I really, I love, okay. So chapter six starts on page 66. It starts off with a dream sequence. The Ephiri House, the Bronx, New York, Friday, 17 November 2006. Mom pinned to the ceiling, bleeding from the belly, fire consuming her. There with Dad, following every one of his commands. Boys, don't forget. You salt the entrance, they can't get in, he orders. Sam, I want you to shoot each of those bottles off the wall, he yells. Dean, stay with your brother, he barks. Jessica, pinned to the ceiling, bleeding from the belly, fire consuming her. Learning how to field strip at M16 before ever kissing a girl. Unable to get through Moby Dick or the Scarlet Letter for school, despite having already read the collected works of Alistair Crowley, not to mention Jan Howard Brunvund. Knowing the exorcism ritual in Latin, but unable to remember the words to the Pledge of Allegiance, which earns a detention sentence at one of the many grammar schools. Cassie, pinched to the ceiling, bleeding from the belly, fire consuming her. I gotta find Dad. He wants us to pick up where he left off. Saving people, hunting things. 
Can we not fight? You're after it, aren't you? The thing that killed Mom. I don't understand the blind faith you have in the man. Sarah pinned to the ceiling, bleeding from the belly, fire consuming her. The fear never dies, never goes away, never leaves no matter how many times you put on the brave face, no matter how many times you lie to people that everything will be okay, no matter how often you tell people that you'll fix it no matter how close you come to dying or being caught or being put away forever, and then you won't be able to protect anyone ever again. Ellen pinned to the ceiling, bleeding from the belly, fire consuming her. All right, something like this happens to your brother. You pick up the phone and you call me. Call you? You kidding me? Dad, I called you from Lawrence, all right? Sam called you when I was dying. But getting you on the phone, I got a better chance of winning the lottery. Joe pinned to the ceiling, bleeding from the belly, fire consuming her. He's given us an order. I don't care. We don't always have to do what he says. Sam pinned to the ceiling, bleeding from the belly. But the fire doesn't consume him. Instead, his eyes open, and they're yellow. You have to kill me, Dean. Dad said so. So, that was Dean's nightmare, and he... He shoots up awake. Yeah, drinks in sweat. Uh, He's just not having a good night. Apparently, um, this is the latest in a series of nightmares he's been having. Apparently, he doesn't really have nightmares. You know, sometimes some bad dreams as a kid, but nothing bad because their life basically is worse than many many people can imagine anyway. So what does he have to dream about that's worse? So basically, the first few pages of this chapter is just him looking at himself in the mirror and... There's like a symbology because basically there's... On the mirror is painted a red peace sign. And mm-hmm. so the line goes through his face and it looks like blood. And so he's kind of just like... I guess contemplating on that, or maybe that's just for the audience to think about. And him dealing with it being all his dad's fault, and, you know, basically all, like, the drama of his entire existence. Yeah. All while just basically staring at his reflection, and kind of going, like, thinking back on the things his father told him. And then he extols the virtues of Manfred's uh, vinyl collection. Yes. There's literally, like, two pages... Just of, like, Dark Side of the Moon, uh, Most of the Animals, House of the Holy, Dressed to Kill, Metallica, The Who by Numbers, blah, 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 blah. Every old rock album you could possibly think of. And even some stuff that's just, like, I don't even think that he would listen to. But whatever. I guess if it's old, it's good. Uh, going back into Chapter 5, I'm, uh, do you remember... Dean drinking coffee in the series. I'm sure he has, but I was trying to remember if he took it black or if he took it. I will say that Sam does not drink it like a fucking child because they have it in here that Sam, health nut Sam, who gets on Dean about every single thing he eats, has a ton of sugar and fills his coffee to the brim with milk. I was thinking that would be something more that Dean would do because Dean has such a a sweet sweet tooth. And so that's what brought... That's what brought that up. I could see Sam putting in some, like, low-calorie sweetener and some almond milk or something if like, they were going to do that. I would think Sam would drink it black, because I'm sure he knows, like, the nutritional value of black coffee mm-hmm. over, like, adding a bunch of crap to it. Mm-hmm. That, that's what stuck out to me, that I don't remember offhand when the boys have drunk coffee. I'm sure they have, but it just, with, like, all that sugar and stuff, my brain just went, that's something Dean would do, I think. Mm-hmm. So... And sometimes another thing that drives me nuts in this book and in many other books that do it, the switching of points of view. 
Like, sometimes it's um, Dean and Dean's inner thoughts, and sometimes it feels like it's from Sam's point of view, and we get Sam's inner thoughts. I don't have a, an example. Yeah, and it's like, okay, so like in this chapter, as soon as Sam's awake, it kind of almost switches to his point of view. Basically, Sam's awake and talks about how he's going to go off, and Dean is super excited about a copy of music from Big Pink. Ooh. <laughs> Anyways. And Sam's coming down the stairs on his trail. Yeah. So, and then, like, the next paragraph is going to be from Sam's perspective as he goes to actually do some work, which, thank God, someone is, because this is getting real boring. Yeah. Um, and so Sam decides to check out the Poe Cottage to see if there is any kind of information he can possibly get about weird witchcraft murders based off of Edgar Allan Poe, which, I mean, I can see the values of checking that out, but I also doubt that they have anything and they kind of basically say that in the chapter a lot of it was him trying to find a parking spot first we can't skip that over it because the yeah, author didn't a, skip over there's it. a whole page <laughs> there is a whole page bitching about parking in new york like no one on the planet actually knows that's a problem <laughs> with anyone on the planet like seriously everyone knows that like no one's looking at new york city going gee i bet there's a bunch of parking uh-huh like, I get it. The author loves New York City. Yeah. And loves to talk about New York City like it's, you know, a character in the novel. There's a lot of, like, artists who use New York City as its own character. That seems like he's finding the bad parts of New York City to Well, not only about. that, but it's normally, like, a film thing. Mm -hmm. Because a film thing, you can easily portray New York City as its own character mm -hmm. while not taking away from the content. It's just going to be scenery in a book. I don't know. The way he does it is literally, like... And this happened. And then this happened. And then this happened. Yeah, it's and it's like, so it's very simplistic descriptions, very straightforward. There's no nuance to it. It's just like parking sucks. And we're like, yeah, we know. Let's keep going. Yeah, because he could have been, they could have been having like a really deep conversation about something important while he was looking for a parking spot. And like, he could have said, you know, every, every few paragraphs, maybe a mention that he like turned the corner trying to find a parking spot again and then continued with that. That would keep it moving while they are also looking for a parking spot. Like, I could at least see it because he names every single street the dude passes, mm -hmm. every single intersection and all that. Like, maybe if he's trying to have us follow along so that we see, like, some kind of... Maybe there's a weird pentagram shape with all these kid, the all these killings. Who freaking knows? But other than that, I see no value to this. Because, like, at the end of the chapter, he literally says every single street Sam goes on to leave. And it's yeah. like... I it's don't care much, yeah. what street he went on. I, it's not funny that there isn't, like, a 136th street. Like, I don't care about that. Yeah. So, they get they finally find a parking spot. Well, just Sam. It's just Sam. Oh, is it just Sam? I thought it he was... It's just Sam the whole time. Dean See, had decided... That's how monotonous this was. I didn't even realize there was a main character missing. Like, yeah. <laughs> that's why Sam is driving. Yes. And we had to point out that it was a metered parking spot, so it would have been big enough because the meters were put up in a time when cars were larger. So Also, there's no way that parking in New York City is only 50 cents for an hour, even I in the early 2000s. Yes, when I saw that, I'm like, that can't be right. But I, I don't even, know. I mean, no. Heath R.A. DeCondido is from New York, maybe, but... I, he went to college there. I don't know if he still lives there. Maybe he's got the rosy college vision on it. 
Who knows? Who knows when he went to college? It could have been in the 1800s. I could see it being 50 cents in the 1800s. Yeah. I don't think 50 cents would buy you an hour in Waverly. So but they go to the Poe Cottage and... Or he goes to the Poe Cottage, yeah. right? <laughs> see, he, now you're Sam, doing Sam does it. Basically, it's like they just walk us through the tour. Not very detailed. Honestly, the Poe Cottage is less detailed than the house they were staying in. And I would have much rather known <laughs> more about the Poe Cottage because I'm assuming... We learn more about him trying to find a parking spot than we do about the fucking Poe Cottage. Yeah, it's like, okay. It, I'm just thinking he didn't go. <sighs> I That's all I can think is the author didn't go, mm-hmm. so he doesn't... Like, because I'm sure the house he's describing is probably someplace he's he's been. Mm-hmm. And so he can describe it ad nauseum. Um, the only thing that, like, I found interesting... Basically, the tour guide is this short African-American man wearing a beige trench coat. And the only way I got through this whole thing is I just pictured LeVar Burton. It made it more interesting because this dude is boring. Yeah. Though it was weird. Uh, Sam kind of asked, like, hey, did, do you know anything about the murders? And, like, a switch, this guy... Shuts him down. Yeah, it shuts him down. He says, get out. Which, if you're a tour guide, there is some degree of professionalism and being a face with the public, I would think a more expected... Especially on a private tour. Yeah, I would think a more expected reaction would be um, just kind of... I mean, he can shut down a little bit. He can just kind of say, yeah, I heard about it. You know, you can do that and, you know, drop eye contact or do other kind of non-verbal cues to show that you're not interested in pursuing that topic. You don't just go from being a friendly tour guide who has accepted the $10 donation and is out, this and that, and then just say, get out, because... You know, that's going to look bad on you and the, like, not really business, but the the historical site that you're kind of uh, taking care of. Well, also, according to the book, Sam's probably, like, six feet taller than this dude. What's he going to (laughs) do? Yeah. But the dudes didn't seem to want to work there, to be honest. Mm -hmm. Because he's talking about how they couldn't get the right furniture, so they just did their best. It's, like, it's definitely not how a tour guide would speak. For sure. Because, like, no tour guide I can possibly think of would talk about, oh, no, this bed is totally fake because they used to use straw back in the day. And so this is just popcorn peanuts and this, that, and the other. It's like, no one needs to know that. Maybe talk about the room. I don't know. Yeah, or talk about where that, like, what the bed is made of, like, the real stuff. Though they do mention that the Baltimore Ravens are named after uh, Poe's poem, Mm -hmm. The Raven. Which I had suspected, I wasn't sure, and I, I... One thing I did learn in this chapter was where the name of the Bronx came from. And it was back when it was basically farmland. And the first settler, Jonas Bronk, B-R-O-N-C-K, the peninsula used to be called Bronx Land. And that's where the name Bronx came from. So I thought that was interesting. So you get little tidbits of like, huh, that's, I guess that's interesting. It has nothing to do with the story, I bet. But it, hmm. I guess that's interesting. Yeah. Basically, the whole first chunk of this book that we've read so far would have probably been 10 minutes of an episode. If that. If that. The whole previous chapter and the first chunk of this chapter, 10 minutes max. Yeah. Because it's just... I'm trying, trying very hard to find the interesting stuff, but, like, nothing happens. Yeah. He doesn't get anything from going to... And that's the thing, too. It's like, this guy was super rude because, like, Sam even bought postcard and was like... Being in, like, normally, you know, tall, pretty man, even, like, they're just, they're nicer to mm-hmm. people. 
I mean, granted, the guy did kind of chill out a little bit when Sam was like, no, I just read it in the paper and I'm sorry. It just seems suspicious to me because, like, I don't remember them really connecting everything super well just yet, like the media or anything, because Sam had connected it and had thought it suspicious. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't remember them saying too much about everyone, like, making a huge deal of this to the point that everyone would call, like, someplace like the Poe Cottage. Yeah, good point. I hadn't thought about that. Like, for all anyone knows, an orangutan just went nuts and killed a couple kids. How many people would say, oh, that happened in the uh, this Poe story, and oh, yeah, there was, someone else had gotten... Yeah, someone got bricked into a wall and that kind of stuff, but it's just like... Especially because, like, even people who know Poe... The orangutan story, kind of obscure. Like, just because, like, no one really reads that. Like, everyone really reads, like, the Telltale Heart and School. Everyone reads The Raven. That's what most people think of when they think of Edgar Allan Poe. But mm-hmm. it's just, like, throw an orangutan in there? Okay. Yeah, and then to have enough of the public connect this to have called this guy to the point of annoyance. So... Yeah, like, that, to me, doesn't make sense. Like, I don't think he did it. Mm-hmm. But I think his reaction is weird. I don't know if that's just an author failing, or if maybe that has significance. So, yeah, some some issues with the pacing in these these chapters. Oh, God, okay, this, this kind of made me... So, we know that they have all kinds of issues with traffic, mm-hmm. and he had all kinds of issues with parking. So, this next place that he's going to is two blocks away, or two blocks north of Kingsbridge Road, which isn't very far. He's, he's thinking to himself, okay, so there's definitely ritual, but what ritual, but what ritual... So he goes, figured out the best way to the corner of Webb Avenue and West 995th Street, where the body had been bricked up. It actually looked to be a very fairly easy drive, as in, as that intersection was just two blocks north of Kingsbridge Road. Unfortunately, when he got there, he realized that he couldn't make it to right where he wanted to go, basically. So they basically just say, oh, we're going to take this road, then this road. It's literally like Google Maps. Well, anyone, any plain native New Yorker would have walked those two blocks. Um, Sam's still got long legs. He could have strode them in just like five steps, basically. With that much trouble he was having with parking, I mean, you and I would have been like, you know what, it's only two blocks away. Let's just walk there. On top of that, it's just like, why do I need to know every single road he took? (laughs) You could have just said two blocks away, and then the only thing kind of remotely interesting is that the he sees like a battered old honda civic double parked in front of the house that the dude got bricked up into and a short mousy looking guy with a big nose gets out of the car and normally he wouldn't give the guy a second thought but obviously did because he was parked right in front of the place where the murder took place but i guess the guy looks irritatingly familiar though sam couldn't figure out why that's how the. Mm-hmm. That's, how, that's basically how the whole thing ends, and then they talk more about streets. shrugging. He drove down Webb back to Kingsbridge, intending to head over to Cambrian Avenue, where the two kids had died. Yeah, I don't need to know that. <sighs> I, I'll, I'll give you one better. He drove away. <sighs> he didn't. He didn't do any more investigating on this irritatingly familiar dude. He drove away. I don't care what street he was on. Mm-hmm. And he was at the location where the person was bricked up, correct? He didn't get out. Sam would have found some way to, somewhere to park. Okay, so he, he drives around forever to go to the Poe Cottage, which there's no connection that we know of. But then he gives up that easily on one of the actual crime scenes. Yeah. 
<sighs> not a damn... Apparently, parking was just too damn bad. So he just said, fuck it, to the whole thing, and we're going to wing it on this ritual because, I don't know, clues or something. Yeah, I had some oh. issues with these chapters. I'm, okay, like, I understand... <sighs> These are, even though it's officially licensed, these are all still fan fiction. And I've read some really bad fan fiction in my day. But I've also read really good fan fiction in my day. My problem so far with this book isn't that it's bad fan fiction. It's that it's boring fan fiction. Mm -hmm. It's boring. Like, as soon as I saw that this was going to be a ritual based off of Edgar Allan Poe, I already was rolling my eyes. Because that, to me, screams teenage girl's first fan fiction. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna throw something in that's cool. So far, the only really interesting thing that's happened was in the first few pages when the boys got attacked. And when I read that, I'm like, oh, cool, this is gonna be a fun book. And, like, we just finished chapter six. What's happened so far? They drove through a toll booth, found a fairy's house, he wasn't home, so they went to the zoo, went back to a fairy's house... Where he's there now, they talk to him, and now Sam went to the Poe Cottage. Six fucking chapters. Nothing's happened. <sighs> Nothing has happened. That's the thing. It's like, if we want to talk about not just plot points, but important plot points. The important plot points are people are dead. There's a possible haunting, which I get. Why not? Mm -hmm. Just why not? And uh, that's it. Because there's been little to no investigating. It's... Two brothers who, in the show, when they're bitching at each other and bickering back and forth, they're still moving and doing stuff. Exactly. So it's like that, but they've taken out the action of it because I don't know if this author has gotten the hang of being able to discuss dialogue while still moving the plot forward. Exactly. Like, it is tricky to do. Mm -hmm. um, that's why, like... Some people, they just kind of, like, write the plays, because then you can have the dialogue, and then also the plot points. Because he did it better in the first chapter when they were stuck in traffic on the bridge getting to Manhattan. Because while Dean was bitching about being stuck in traffic, it, Sam was saying, I found this a bit about uh Yeah, like, they set poems. the scene yeah, kind of like they would in an episode of Supernatural. So is a, that one didn't bug me as much, because, yes, the, the traffic isn't moving, and they're stuck in traffic, but they're still talking about their cases coming up. The whole chapter five could have been taking out, taken out of this, and I wouldn't have even noticed. Yeah. Because nothing happened. And a good chunk of chapter six as well. The dream was interesting, but, you know, I could take or leave it half... Like, I vaguely, only vaguely remember who Sarah is. Like, I know who Cassie is, kind of, but only because... Racist truck episode? Yeah, it's not a good episode. <laughs> <laughs> but, so, like, I get that. I also kind of found it funny that Sam was the only dude on the ceiling. Because, <laughs> you know, all, all they know are female uh, characters, and they're all collateral. Mm -hmm. I try to say character and collateral at the same time. It doesn't work, does it? No, nope, yeah. I, I completely choked on a word. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, it's just... I swear we're trying to make this as funny as possible and as entertaining as possible, but we are struggling this episode because it is so boring. I bore to tears. <laughs> like, I was reading this last night and I fell asleep and smacked myself in the face with the Kindle. That's... <laughs> <laughs> because I was so bored. 
that like I was like reading this at like ten o'clock at night and I'm like halfway through like chapter five and like first I I skipped to be like how long are these chapters? These chapters are so long comparative to what is actually in the chapters. But like it was so boring that the next thing I knew I had smacked myself in the face with a piece of freaking plastic. (laughs) And Kindles are heavy. And that's why I didn't have the book these chapters completely read when you got to my house this morning because I too fell asleep last night when I was trying to read them and take notes. (sighs) Collective sigh. (laughs) Oh. So Like I know we're harsher just because like we both I guess I would like to consider myself a writer and uh, Lane definitely is and so any writer who reads someone else's writing, especially fan fiction, is all automatically going to go, I could do better. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> but this is rough. This is definitely, I feel like, at least in this day and age, because we are in a creative heavy environment, mm-hmm. we expect more from people than, like, I think we expected from people in, what, 2006? If I had been 15 or 20 reading this, it'd been great. Nope. Uh, I think I still would have been bored. <laughs> Possibly, yeah. <laughs> I mean, just because if I had been, uh, let's say, if I had been a fifteen-year-old fangirl and like just devouring everything, Sam and Dean, maybe. Yeah, like I could, I, I'd probably give it a pass if that's the audience there. But remember, but, when I was fifteen, the internet wasn't a thing. I didn't have fanfic at my fingertips. I will say though that like Supernatural has a notorious bad reputation for kind of like looking down on their fan base. Not the actors, but like kind of more of the I don't know. Like they got the better. They've gotten better, yeah. and they do like poke fun at. Not only the fan base, but also like them poking fun at the fan base mm-hmm. to the point where like we can kind of all laugh at it because yeah, when you're a certain age, like the reason they don't do it as much now is because the fan base has aged. Yeah. When you're a certain, when you're in fangirl age, which that never goes away, by the way, it matures though. It matures. When you're in fangirl age, that's why I call it like an age because you go from fangirl to fan. Yeah. When you go fangirl age is like, you don't even see these people as people. They are just like, you want everything about their lives, everything about this, everything. Like, that's why Benedict Cumberbatch didn't tell anyone he got married because, like, he was scared. <laughs> yeah. And it's just like, and I get that because I used to be, like, a rabid Benedict Cumberbatch fan. I am still a fan. You know, he is an amazing actor and I will watch just about anything he's in. But I don't care who he married. Yeah. I don't care about his personal life anymore. Normally now, like, I think the reason we're so much more involved maybe with Jensen and Jared is because they have been more open about it. Mm -hmm. But also, most of the fans have aged because, like, I started watching this in high school. And I think most of the people who did start watching in high school were all kind of like, I'm turning 30. So we're now at an age of, like, oh, good for them, you know? Yeah. You go, you go from like as a fan, as a fangirl, and I'm using that term as gender neutral because right. it, I do have some friends who, you know, are gender neutral, and I do have some friends who are male, but they, I still consider it fangirling. Yeah. Because fanning sounds kind of weird. It's <laughs> yeah, like fanning me and, and feed me a grape. It's like, it could, it could also it's, sound kind of sexual. It's, it's a little weird. Yeah. But like when you're at that age, you're like, he's dating who? That woman's a bitch. And then, like, when Twitter came into play, easier to just, like, rip these people to shreds. Mm-hmm. So I, I get, I kind of get that 
Might have lost my point. But <laughs> so but yeah, so like I can kind of maybe see this book as there because there was a time when content was well they'll do it, they'll read it anyways, or like who really cares? Like I'm it's it, it was like kids shows, I feel. Like a lot of kids shows where it's just like we're not gonna work super hard because these are for children. Mm-hmm. But the ones that are remembered are the ones that it's like for all ages. Yeah. Because I've watched yeah. some stuff from when I was a kid. It has not aged well. <laughs> Other stuff has. But, like, some of the stuff I'm just like, that did not age well. I will say this. This is still much better written than Fifty Shades of Grey. And <laughs> I'll never understand how the fuck that took off the way it did. I think it's because it was a Twilight fanfiction. Yeah, I don't know. It was just, people were talking about how, like, oh, people, women there are... There are Harlequin romances better written than Fifty Shades of Grey. Yeah. I could write a Harlequin romance. Have you read, or have you listened to the podcast, My Dad Wrote a Porno? No. First of all, it's fucking hilarious. Because basically, it's this British dude and his friends. They find out his dad has written an erotic novel. Mm-hmm. Um, because his dad told him he wrote an erotic novel, and they read it. They read a chapter each episode. <laughs> it is hysterically funny, because someone needed sex education as a child, I'm just saying. Uh-huh. But <laughs> Please tell me their dad guessed sometimes. He uses the word clitoris a lot, and, uh, the, like, I just started it, like, I know it's like a, like, they're already on book nine or something, but, like, I had a whole- he, So he's written a lot of pornos? He's written a series called Belinda Blinked. <laughs> <laughs> um, but there's, like, the very first chapter of the very first book is, like, she opens her legs and her vagina flaps open or some weird shit. <laughs> and I was just like- Oh, like I'm, I'm listening to this at work. <laughs> even Nothing that, turns even, me on more than flapping vaginas. Even that is better than Fifty Shades of Grey. <laughs> yeah. Even, even flapping vaginas and... So if you're a listener who likes the Fifty Shades series, get on Archive of Our Own. There's better stuff out there. Mm-hmm. Go for the ones that get kudos. <laughs> We're just listening to My Dad Wrote a Porno, because... Mm-hmm. Why not? There are, is all kind of erotic fiction out there that is better written, mm. published, and internet-based. God, what is that Sherlock one that I loved so much? It was good. It was take. It took place, like, right after um, he quote-unquote died. Mm-hmm. And it was so in detail. Like, they kind of made Sherlock kind of like Asperger's type um, awkward, mm-hmm. but... Uh, Which is fairly accurate. Yeah, it was just really interesting to me because basically John had to come to terms with his feelings. So like basically everything up until that point was canon mm-hmm. and then they moved on from there and it got kind of steamy and I was like, that's, that's not bad. I don't know if they actually have sex that way. I'm not saying I haven't seen gay porn, but I'm just saying I don't watch a ton of it. So I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> um <sighs> But yeah, it's um like okay, Tina from Bob's Burgers, her erotic friend fiction is better than Fifty Shades of Grey. <laughs> I think the uh the fanfic I read of the lake monster in Harry Potter having sex with Hogwarts the building was better written than Fifty Shades of Grey. Remember when the building orgasm and all, and all the toilets flushed? <laughs> I'm having like PTSD flashbacks of when I was younger. And some of the shit that I've read and seen in my lifetime Oh, I can't unsee. It's just like... I was in my early early mid-twenties when I discovered fan fiction was a thing. I was so sheltered. Yeah. I was so, so sheltered. But then my world opened. As soon as I started thinking manga was cool, I was open to a whole world of no. 
I, so what should we do, like, between books on here? Uh, I think we should do, uh, like, little fanfiction one-offs. Like, just talk about a fanfiction. I don't read as much as I used to, so I don't remember. Yeah. That's my only problem. I, I haven't read... Okay, listeners, all three of you. Um, <laughs> Woo! We love all three. You, if you have. No one's listening. But we still love you. Yes. We love you, Internet Void. <laughs> Send us fanfiction you'd want, want us to cover. Oh, my lord, no. Okay, so should we sign off? Uh, let's tell the listeners where they can find us. So it's Impala Books on Twitter. And it's supernaturalpros at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. Not Winchester Pros. Did I do that? I hope you didn't say it on the podcast, but you did send it to me that way. I don't remember doing and that. And it's supernaturalpros at gmail.com. I think like I... Email us. I think I had initially... Tell us that we suck. Tell us we don't suck. I don't care. I think I did have one Winchester Pros, but then I couldn't figure out how to get back into it. So I created a new... Anyway, yeah. We're very lonely people, okay? Just someone out there. Give us some feedback. Love us. Please love us. Love us. Yeah. All right. Well, that's it for chapter five and six. Thank God. Get off our lawn. Get off our lawn, chapter five and six. (laughs) So we'll hit up seven and eight next time. And we will pray to the internet gods that it is better. (sighs) I'm not holding out much hope. Anyway... We read fan fiction, so you don't have to. Yay! Bye!